Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, that's you and me, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, that's John the Apostle, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Verse 3, blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep the things that are written in it, because the time is near. Anybody use a blessing this morning? Anybody want to be blessed? Yeah, the Amplified tells us the word blessed means, listen to this, to be spiritually prosperous, to be happy, and to be admired. So I'll ask the question again. Anyone use a blessing this morning? Anybody want to live in this condition? Yeah, I think so. The book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that promises us this blessing. Now, Psalm 1 uh, promises a blessing to a man or a woman who lives a certain way, does certain things, doesn't do certain things. Only the book of Revelation, listen to the blessing. To those who read, that'll be primarily me. To those who hear, that'll be primarily you. And hopefully all of us keep the words of this prophecy. There are seven beatitudes or seven blessings in Revelation. Not only does it begin with a blessing, it ends with a blessing. Chapter 22, verse seven, the words of Jesus in red. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I wanna start out with a pastoral charge. Can I do that? I'm gonna do it anyways, but thanks. Um, with that in mind, how about if you guys bring Bibles to church? And how about for some of you who don't have a Bible, you buy one? The Bible's like a tool, it's like a paintbrush, it's like, it's like a garden rake. It, it needs to be your favorite, it needs to be your own. You need to be able to write in it. You need to be able to, be able to turn its pages and doggy your things and put things in it. Um, I'm a firm believer when you write stuff down, you remember it. And here's the thing, it might be handy to take a journal along with you. Writing down what God says is so important. We don't want it to drop to the ground. Here's what I know in this series. Jesus in chapter two and three will say, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. That's you and me, God is speaking today. He's gonna say things in this series that are only for you, only for me, and you need to write them down. I'm not against technology, uh, I think it's kind of an add-on, but I think we all need Bibles and we need to bring them. The book of Revelation has been studied, interpreted, quoted, and preached on for almost two millennia. Its imagery adorns great cathedrals around the world, frescoes and paintings and sculptures, there's poems and essays. Its dominant theme, the end of human history, um, dominates, whether you know it or not, our popular culture. I'm 55 years old now, it's very hard for me to find a movie to go to. Movies are made for millennials, uh, somehow they have all disposable income, I guess, and unless you wanna see a book about a comic book hero or the end of the world, there are no movies to see. Our culture is fascinated with this, and yet people come to me and say, why would we ever read or study Revelation? Most Christians don't read it on their own. Most churches don't teach through it. I always give the same common sense answer when someone asks me. Um, it's in the Bible? I mean, there's 66 books. Why would we just jettison the last book, the last chapter? You would never read John Grisham and not read the last chapter. In fact, if you're like me, you have to fight not to read it first, right? We all want to know, how does this end? Listen, I get it. I really do. 
Uh, people have used revelation and prophecy to cause division, right? And I think it's well-meaning. Uh, the Calvary Chapel movement got caught up in this for a while, and I, I don't think anybody did it maliciously. Um, the scriptures, at least about the end, have been opened up before us. Daniel was told to seal vision and prophecy. Revelation tells us to open it up. There's been more teaching in the last 50 years on Bible prophecy than the 1,500 years previous. So people are very excited, very curious. However, um, we've sensationalized it. We've been obsessed with prophecy, right? We've set dates for the end of the world. We've pinned the tail on the Antichrist. Uh, I had a man come to me and say, Pastor Bob, I just got back from Israel. Guess what? I'm like, what? He said, all the taxi cabs, the phone number, 666. They all start with 666. And I guess he was kind of trying to sensationalize some kind of help God along sensationalism, right? And I said, you know, that's really cool, but uh, Chicago, the same thing. All the taxi cabs start with 666. It's just easy to dial, 666, right? We don't need to help God along. Um, listen to this. Devastating earthquakes, sweeping fires, poverty, private bankruptcy, widespread immorality, all these things abound in our day, which tells us the Lord is coming soon. Sounds like it was written yesterday, right? That was William Miller in 1843. Uh, not only that, Miller went on to say, I am fully convinced that somewhere between March 21st, 1843, and March 21st, 1844, and everybody always adds in this, according to the Jewish form of keeping time, uh, Jesus Christ shall return, and of course he never did. Every time we make predictions, it gives the church a black eye. 100 years later, a man named Nathan Cohen, very famous in Chicago, said the same thing. Wars, rumors of wars, etc. he said would bring about the end of the world. He said, and I quote, I know not when it will end, but I believe I have an idea when it will begin. And it was 1934, of course, it never happened. Uh, I lived through as a young Christian a book that circulated uh, in 1987 called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. It was a big to-do. Never happened, right? It was all the Jewish compilation of time. Never happened. The man had the audacity to write another book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 1989. <laughs> Love to see the people that bought that book, man. You could sell them bridges all day long, right? Harold Camping, 1993 or 94, all the billboards were out. Y2K scare, you all remember that? People hunkered down, put their dogs to sleep and so forth. Uh, literally the day we moved to this building eight and a half years ago, there were signs at Britain Lake, end of the world, there were vans there and such. So again, all this teaches us is to go back to the words of Jesus. Lord, when will these things be? And Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. No man knows the day or the hour. Yes, there are signs of the times, we'll get into that. We don't want to be prophecy obsessed, at least from a point of figuring out a scenario, because that never leads to holy living. The heart by what Jesus told us about the end was far different, and that's what Revelation will be about. Before we begin, maybe I can de-obsess um, you from, prop from prophecy. Uh, here's the top 10 signs you might be obsessed by prophecy. You always leave the top down on your convertible in case the rapture might happen. I don't know how many of us have convertibles, but uh, number two, you never buy green bananas. Think they're not going to get right, right? Barcode scanners make you nervous. You refuse a tax refund check because the amount is $666. You can name more signs of the times than you can the commandments. 
You believe the church fathers refer to Hal Lindsey and Tim LaHaye. He wrote the Left Behind series. You get goosebumps when you hear a trumpet. You use the Left Behind books as devotional reading. <laughs> Scary there are people that fit that category. Uh, maybe some of us. Another objection to Revelation is it's too darn weird. It's hard to understand. Uh, there's locusts with men's faces, there's angels and demons and scrolls and bottomless pits and things that go bump in the night. I mean, like, what is going on here? Was John freaking out? Like, what is happening? Scares people. I like to say it's just a little bit intimidating. Almost like algebra when you were a freshman or for those of you who play a musical instrument, you have to get over the hump a little, right? One of the things that will encourage you is the easiest way to understand Revelation is to understand and read the rest of the Bible. There are 440 allusions from the Old Testament in Revelation. Uh, let me give you an easy one. Look down at verse 12. Uh, John tells us, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. It was Jesus. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven was like one like the Son of Man. Now even the imagery of Jesus all comes from the Old Testament. Predominant books quoted are Daniel, Isaiah, the Psalms, um, a lot of Old Testament quotes. Let's just stick with this one. Uh, seven is the number of completion in Scripture. God creates the world in six days, rests on the seven, seven notes on a musical scale. You get the idea, completion. Where was the golden lampstand in the Old Testament? In the Holy of Holies, right? In the temple behind the veil was the Holy of Holies. Outside of that were three furnishings, one of them was the, the lampstand, and the priest would come in and make sure it burned eternally. Jesus kind of framed that up for us in that we as the church would become the light of the world. It was a forerunner to Jesus and the church. He was the light of the world. Now we're a city set on a hill, right? So now John turns, and the next two chapters are going to be about Jesus dwelling in the midst of the church, which are the golden lampstands. And next week I'll get more into that imagery. See how easy it is? Again, if you know the Old Testament, this is very simple. This isn't a guy who ate bad pizza one night, all right? This is very easy to understand if you can get over the hump. What I'm going to do when we get to technical things, and we will, uh, because there are people that are way ahead on this and there are people who are just getting started, I'm going to put on an easel a board with a big black circle. What that means is I'm ready to nerd out on you, okay? I'm going to talk about some things that might have your head spinning if you're not caught up. Uh, feel free to check your phone, take a nap, do what you want. Um, but we can all learn together, but I promise you I'll let you know you're not stupid. We're just entering area that takes uh, a little more understanding and a little more reading. And of course, the shelf is full with things that can help you on your way. Here's what I've prayed about Revelation this time. It's been 10 years since we taught through it. And uh, last night I was sitting at my table, my daughter was doing homework from college, and I was on the other side, and we were there for about three hours, and I'm always ready for Sunday by Friday night. And to be honest, I could probably teach Revelation just by walking up here. I taught Revelation in one day, I've taught it three times, just on a Sunday. And I was laboring over this, because I said, God, my only prayer is I want this to be pastoral. I want the heart of Revelation and the real meaning of why you wrote it. God, you wrote it for two millennia, for people that were persecuted and people were free, and would you give us our portion 
as we go through it. So the best of my ability, I'm gonna try and find the heart of God in this, and hopefully you can find the blessings, and hopefully as a community, we can grow. We live in a divided country, the church is divided, the one thing that unites us is Jesus Christ. And we wanna find that blessing, and we wanna find him. Here's what I'm gonna do for the rest of our time. I'm gonna walk you through chapter one by giving you seven transforming truths or blessings in Revelation, and they will look far into the book, and it'll kind of get our feet wet, and then we'll get rolling for real next week. So here are the seven blessings or the seven truths to transform. You may wanna write them down. Number one, Revelation reveals the true identity of Jesus Christ. Look at verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'll read it the way it's grammatically written. It's a definite article. This is the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus has been hijacked in our culture. Pastor Bob, what in the world does that mean? Well, everybody likes Jesus. They really do. They, they might not want to follow him or think he's God, but, but he's likable as long as he fits your agenda. I'll give you an example. You don't even have to be a follower of Christ, but if you advocate for the poor, Jesus is a good guy to have around, right? Blessed are the poor. Um, he advocated the poor more than anybody in history, so if you like the poor and advocate for them, you can use Jesus. Um, if you're obsessed with prophecy, you can use Jesus, right? He talked about his coming in the end of the world. If you're a prosperity preacher, you can use Jesus. The one thing he said, that he became poor, that you might become rich, and they've used that. Uh, I was at a New Age conference in Madison Square Garden. I was undercover, of course. And uh, craziest thing I've ever been to, I gotta tell you, Jesus was everywhere. He was everywhere. So people have taken the Jesus they like. Revelation is the final piece to the puzzle about Jesus. So here's how it works. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, right? And says, let us make man in our image. Wow, that means there's a trinity involved here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in essence, right, three persons. Man sins, forfeits all that God has given him. The Bible's first prophecy, it'll be the seed of a woman, it will be a human being that will crush the head of the serpent. Well, that's really veiled, right? That's murky. Gets a little clearer when Abraham asks Isaac to sacrifice his son, and then Moses has Israel put blood over the door and slay lambs. Now we're looking at substitutionary atonement, right? Gets a little more clear when Isaiah says, behold, a virgin will conceive and bring forth a son. This is a human being, uh-oh, but he shall be called wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. Are you kidding me? The prince of peace? Wow, gets a little more clear in Isaiah 53 when, when he's gonna be pierced and wounded, the suffering servant. Gets abundantly clear. No longer are we stumbling in the dark when the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We know what God's like, now we can look at Jesus, how he dealt with human, human beings, right? And gets real clear when he says it is finished and dies on the cross. No greater love has anyone ever had, that he laid down his life for you and me. Gets even clearer after the resurrection. For the first time we have tracks going out of the graveyard and someone beat death. But John says this is the revelation. Now it's not revelations. 
Oh my gosh, you cannot come here and say we're studying the book of Revelations. If you do, you have a mandate from me. If somebody says that to you, they must buy you a cup of coffee in the table. I don't want you going to heaven under my teaching saying you read the book of Revelations. It is not a series of revelations. It is the revelation, the apocalypso, which doesn't mean the end of the world. It is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. When I think of the word unveiling, excuse me, sorry, I don't want to be sacrilegious, I think of Steve Jobs. Every year, he would unveil at the Macworld Conference the new and latest gadget. Remember that? And there was one year where the iPod came out. Oh my gosh. We have this little device, it's going to have a thousand songs, we're going to download and buy iTunes. Like, are you kidding me? And then he did something famous. He's wearing those jeans and that trademark shirt of his. And he said, you know that little top pocket in your jeans? You ever wonder what that was for? And he pulls out the iPod. That was so cool. It was unveiled. Apple knew about it for years. They're, they're five, six years ahead of when the product comes out. But for all of us, it was unveiled. People had talked about it for months. This is the unveiling. This is the, the something that was revealed and now brought forth in its totality. You're going to see Jesus in Revelation the way you've never seen him before. Jesus has 30 titles in Revelation. Uh, there's nine if you can find them in chapter 1. Uh, in chapter 2, he's going to be called the Son of God. Chapter 3, the beginning of the creation of God. Chapter uh, 5, the lion from the tribe of Judah. Uh, he's called the lamb 28 times in Revelation. The Lord in chapter 11, verse 8. Anybody tells you Jesus wasn't God, Revelation 11, 8. And then his 30th title is the bright and the morning star. But I want to talk about his title in verse 8 and verse 11, where he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Those of you who are NIV challenged, uh, I don't think the reference is there exactly the way it was in the original. It's not a big deal. You might say, what's Alpha and Omega? Well, your English version will just say first and last. Alpha was the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega was the last. How is he the Alpha and the Omega? What does that mean? If you live in our nation, at least, um, you are told when you get to school, and especially in university, that you are here by cosmic accident, right? I'm not putting anybody down. I'm just saying there was a big bang, just an accident, right? Um, and then by a series of evolution, took, took millions of years, you're here, and there's no real end, right? Maybe the sun will go out or we'll get hit by an asteroid and poof, it's over, okay? For those people that live in the reality of the middle, life has no purpose. It really doesn't. Um, you can win the Super Bowl, a golf tournament. You can be Shakespeare. And one day when it's all said and done, I mean, your candle's going out and it's all going to end. So it was all meaningless, basically. C.S. Lewis, uh, in a brilliant quote that I'll summarize, said, you know that girl you're in love with? <laughs> it's not really love. Uh, you can enjoy it as a baser animal, he said. But your love is just synapses and chemistry and biology kind of wrapped in one. There's no real true love. Isn't that depressing? The music you enjoy, the art you enjoy, everything that we have in here, it's just all biological things going on in you. Wow. Depressing, right? Christianity says, no, that's not true. Jesus is the alpha 
This all got started somewhere. Colossians says there was nothing created or made that he wasn't a part of. And the book of Revelation is going to tell you he's the omega. It's ending, the end of history. There's an end, okay? But here's where it becomes critical. Is he your alpha? Is he your omega? See, life only made sense to me at 21 years old when Jesus Christ became my alpha. When he became the starting point of all that I do, when I began to seek first the kingdom of God, life made sense. It made profound sense. If you don't have Christ in your life and maybe you're seeking, that's okay. It's as easy as bowing the knee in the heart and confessing him. My real concern is what's your omega? What's the omega you're living by? What's the end game? Is it to get a million dollars for retirement? What's your omega? What is the end game? Um, the reason we preach solitude and silence around here is because if you have eye, what are they called? Things in your ear? Yeah, the eye, whatever goes in your ear, right? People, I see them, every, people got them everywhere, right? Buds, earbuds, thank you. If you have earbuds in your ear all the time, you're drowning out the voice of God and you're drowning out your own conscience. Journaling is amazing. Write this in your journal. What is my end game? What's my omega? We're like hamsters on a wheel. We get up at 8 o'clock, we drink a cup of coffee. We go through this ridiculous, crazy week. Do we ever ask why we do it? You've got to ask yourself, where am I going? What's the omega of my life? What is my purpose? Jesus will speak into all that. Second transforming truth about Revelation is it esteems the value of the church. Please listen with all your heart. Look at verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. Okay? Let's may pretend he's your pastor this morning and he's up here. Here's what he would preach. He loved us. He washed us from our sins with his own blood. And he's made you a king and a priest to the God our Father. To him be glory forever and ever. And John's so overwhelmed, he writes amen. That means just take a pause. Very popular in our day to malign the church. People like Jesus, they don't like the church. People are spiritual, they don't like the church. Uh, it's full of hypocrites. There's sex scandals, financial scandals. They don't play the songs I like, yada, yada, yada. I challenge you to find Jesus in Revelation and you'll find him in the midst of the candlesticks. He's in the midst of the church, he loves the church. For all its flaws, he calls it his bride, his hands, his feet, the ecclesia of those who were called out. Listen, forget about buildings and forget about us sitting here. The church was a radical alternative to a kingdom different from this world. For the people in the first century, it was different than Rome and their oppression. For you and I, it's still different from all the materialism and all that's going on. We have been called into a radically different alternate reality, a kingdom that can't be seen without spiritual eyes. Um, last minute, last Thursday, I received tickets to the Eagles opener. Don't be jealous. 
It's the reason I'm not on Instagram. So I invited my son to go with me. And we're like everybody else. We enjoy football. We enjoy going live, etc. And people were there from 1 in the afternoon. So you, you know what that means, right? Drinking. From 1 in the afternoon all the way through the game, right? And again, as much as we can enjoy a game, there was a time where we both looked at each other and said, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. For some of these people, this is all they got. This is as good as it gets. Guys on the field who will never know your name, an alternate high, and a false sense of community around a silly little game. It almost makes you want to weep and almost makes you want to shout for joy for what God has given us. That's why Jesus said, shout it from the helltops. Compel them to come in. This is the greatest thing going, guys. This is what it's all about. This is the kingdom he came to give us. And you know what he's telling us? And it doesn't mean a lot to you because you're not living under what John lived under. Nero was oppressing Christians. They were being torn by the limbs. They were tied to horses and their limbs were pulled off. And you know what he's telling him? What we sang this morning, you can overcome. You are kings and priests in the alternate reality because there's a different scoreboard and there's a different tune we're marching to. The church is very important in the book of Revelation. Third truth that'll transform you is that Revelation brings perspective to our everyday lives. Now look at verse seven. Behold, he is coming. Whoever told you Jesus never said he was coming, he's coming. With clouds and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him. Who's that? Israel. Even they who pierced him. Remember Zechariah? When Jesus comes, they'll say, where did you get those wounds in your hands in the house of my friends? And they will mourn over him as over a firstborn son. Do you realize we're the only generation who has ever read that verse in Revelation where there's a nation called Israel in the land? Somebody should get excited. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Again, John's like, amen, I can't take it. Uh, let's slow down here a little bit. When's Jesus coming? No man knows the day or the hour. Some people will say, um, Oh, but we know the signs of the times. Well, not really. Here's the problem. When the Bible says Jesus is coming quickly, when it says it's soon and it's near, when you look and it's 1155 or 59, what it's saying is when these things start, it's going to be quick. Okay? So again, if you say, well, wait a second, this says he's coming soon, it's been 2,000 years, something's wrong. No, a day is 1,000 years with God, 1,000 years one day. When it says he's coming soon, it means it will happen very quickly. Jesus said in Matthew 24, if those days weren't shortened, no flesh would survive. We'll get into this later, we'll put up the black dot, I'll nerd out. It's a seven-year period, three and a half of peace, three and a half of tribulation. The one thing Jesus did build in in his teachings and I think John is doing the same, is urgency. That's why I believe in the rapture. We'll get into that later. In fact, I'm bringing Ed Hinson here from Liberty. He's got seven master's degrees. He's funny, he's brilliant, and he's gonna talk about why the rapture still matters. One of the reasons I believe in the rapture is imminency. Jesus come at any time. 
We know the second coming has events that lead up to it, so it can't be imminent. Jesus built in urgency. Why? I'll tell you why. If you've got to paint this painting for Sunday, that's urgency. I've got a sermon every week. That's urgency. But almost all the stories Jesus told were about people who thought they had all the time in the world, and then life caught them by surprise. Now, you don't need the urgency of the second coming. There's something else looming over our heads. Have you figured it out yet? Something else you think's not coming for a long, long time. Death. Nobody likes to talk about it. This could be your last day. It could be my last day. Boom. Gone. That's how urgent life is. And the Bible builds an urgency because there's something for us to live out. There's an omega for all of us beyond something at the end of the rainbow. Christianity is all about following God, hard after him. One day Jesus came to the rich young ruler and said, follow me. He would have been the 13th disciple. And he goes, no, i got to bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. His dad hadn't died. He was the heir he was the firstborn. His dad would die many years later. What he was saying is, let me get all these affairs in order. Let me finish out this natural course, and then I'll get around to the things of the kingdom. He had no urgency. I like what John Piper said. Christians need to have a wartime mentality in peacetime. The fourth truth that will transform you in the Revelation is it's highly evangelistic. Did anybody forget that we are supposed to be telling people about Christ? Did you all forget that one? You're supposed to be hanging around lost people, not telling them how bad they are, and then telling them the good news. Let me give you some good news. Again, he's coming, right? That's what I'm basing this on. Um, the Pew Research tells us that after a worldwide study, they've concluded that the next century will be more religious than the previous. They believe belief in God will be important to four out of every five people in the world. They believe Christianity will grow at a rapid rate, especially in Asia and Africa. And you might say, oh, that's Asia and Africa. Yeah, that's most of the world, okay? They even believe it's going to grow in the secular West. Mark Lilla, one of the best quotes I've read on this in a long time, he said, to most humans, curiosity about higher things or spiritual things comes naturally, it's indifference to them that has to be learned. Do you all get that? In other words, transcendence is a part of who we are. God gave you a, a kind of a, a sneak peek at that for those of you who have a dog. Do you know your dog has a soul? Now think about this. A soul, nefesh in the Hebrew, is mind, will, and emotions. He has a little bit of emotion. He'll lick you. He likes you, right? Um, he, he could be a little sad, I guess, right? He has a soulish realm, but he's not made in the image of God. He doesn't long to read Shakespeare. He's not wondering about his existence. You understand what I'm saying? But you are. Ecclesiastes says God has put eternity with you in your soul. There's something transcendent about where do we come from, where are we going. People are curious, and they're curious about the end of history, 40% of all U.S. adults believe the world will end in a battle of Armageddon. 
Jesus and the Antichrist. 23% of the people believe the Antichrist is alive today. 68% of the people are interested in end-of-the-world type things. I'm a Christian today because someone, as we were watching one of these disaster movies, said, this isn't the way it's going to happen if you ever read the Bible. One man opening his mouth for 30 seconds changed my life and the fruit that has come from it. This is an evangelistic book. You can get a rack card and tell people, come to my church. We're talking about Revelation. It's, yeah, it's a little weird. It's a little hard, but why don't you come through this journey with me? Listen, I'm, I'm telling you, they're already curious. It is one of the most evangelistic tools in the tool bag. The fifth truth that'll transform you is Revelation helps me believe in the sovereignty of God. Look at verse nine. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John was on Patmos, which by the way is a real fancy island in the Aegean Sea. I've been there. Tom Hanks goes there for vacation. So does uh, Merrill Street. Back then it was a penal colony. John... 90 years old, the oldest living apostle, was left there to die. And if that was you or me, we'd say, how could God let this happen? After all I've done for him, I'm supposed to be a fisher of men. Why am I on this? John doesn't say that. But first of all, I like this. I am your brother and companion. He's not some church leader high on a hierarchy. He's like, I'm just your brother and companion in tribulation. I'm, I'm experiencing life just the way you are. I don't have a dispensation. And he talked about the kingdom of patience. John knew God was sovereign. Theodicy is a fancy theological word that means why does God allow bad things to happen to his people? Uh, I read a lot about the Holocaust. Uh, I just saw Operation Finale. It's like probably the 11th Holocaust movie I've seen. It's about Adolf Eichmann, the architect of the final solution, being brought to trial, <laughs> this is an irony, in Israel. I remember reading one time in a book that prisoner 174517 was thirsty. Seeing a fat icicle hanging just outside his hut in Auschwitz, he reached out the window and broke it off to quench his thirst. Before he could get the icicle to his mouth, a guard snatched it out of his hands and dashed it to pieces on the filthy ground. Whenever bad things happen, we blame God. We almost never blame man. What would bring a guard for a human being that was thirsty to take an icicle and dash it to the ground? Hatred, yeah, that's one. It has to be demonic. I like what one person said, when you believe God doesn't exist, anything and everything is possible. But the irony of that, why did God allow the Holocaust, we'll never know, but we know we got the nation of Israel out of it. And again, the irony of Adolf Eichmann being brought to trial, listen to this, he and Hitler are, are, are the architects of a final solution to eradicate the Jews, and then, years later, he goes on trial to a nation called Israel. And if you wonder why God would allow six million Jews to die, remember upwards of 70 million people gave their lives in what might have been the judgment of God. I'm not saying it was of World War II. 
What I'm trying to say is God's ways are higher than our ways and he is sovereign and he is the king of kings and he raises kings up and brings them low. And by the end of this book, and you sang it this morning, he is on the throne. Glorious, magnificent, he is on the throne. Yeah. The eighth truth is that Revelation builds our trust in the Bible. In verse 14, verse 11, I'm sorry, uh, Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia. They're mentioned there. Laodicea, Thyatira, Ephesus, Philadelphia, and so on. Uh, if you want to know how the Bible was written, we have books in the shelf. Norman Geisler's done a great job with the canon of Scripture. Uh, who wrote the Bible? God wrote the Bible. Who wrote the Bible? Man wrote the Bible. How did Israel get back in the land? Zionism, man, and God. Okay, it fits like a glove. But notice the pattern here. In the early church, letters were written predominantly by Paul and the apostles that had been with Jesus, eyewitnesses, and they sent many letters to the churches. Remember, they had no Bible. So they would read the Old Testament, and they would read these letters of the apostles who were basically, remember what Jesus said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and remind them of all the things I taught you? So all John's doing here is writing in a book the revelation and sending it out to the churches. Now very early, by the end of the second century, this was codified and believed to be the intact New Testament. Don't have time to go into it. The thing I love about it is 27% of the content of the entire Bible is prophetic, Revelation more. It's the missing piece of the puzzle. It's been preserved for thousands of years. And we're starting to see things come to light that were impossible only 200 years ago. For instance, uh, the eyewitnesses dying in the streets of Jerusalem being seen by the whole world was never possible to our day. A one-world economic system, a one-world government, never possible without the technology we have today. In Isaiah, God said, I am God and there is no other. I'll prove it to you. I'm the only one that can tell you the end from the beginning. My counsel will stand. Um, on the boardwalk, there was a sign. You know how there's all these psychic places on the boardwalk? Well, there was one sign that says, closed because of unforeseen family tragedy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, nothing could be truer about man's trying to predict the future. And God says, my counsel will stand. And finally, number seven, and this is what it's all about, guys. Justice will finally be served. The book of Revelation is a book of judgment. I am not gonna hide that at all. It is the wrath of God on a Christ-rejecting world. Jesus said if those days weren't short and no flesh would survive, we've only seen the wrath of man. This will be the wrath of Almighty God. Third of the earth burned. Third of the seas are gone. Moon turned to blood. Sun goes out. There's going to be devastating times. We don't like justice until it hits home with us, right? We don't want God to judge the world, but when we get that parking ticket we don't deserve, oh my gosh, no one wants to be around us. We vent and we fight and we're gonna hire a lawyer for a stinking parking ticket, we want justice. Why in the world 
the nation of Israel, already in existence, need to go search for Adolf Eichmann in Argentina and put him on trial because justice must be served. And in the end, the king of all the earth will do what's right. And it says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I'm gonna step outside of the Bible and give you my opinion. A lot of people, when they hear that verse, they picture somebody like Nietzsche or Adolf Hitler where God is breaking them. Get your knee down. I'm God. This is my opinion. I think when it's all said and done, willingly, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. I think every human being will finally say, Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When justice is served, John said, there will be a new Jerusalem. There's no temple there because the Lord is the temple. The city will not need the sun. God will illuminate it. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor to it. Its gates shall not be shut by day, and there's no night there. There's no fear. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. No more hospitals, no more diagnosis, no more sex trafficking, no more abuse, no more pedophiles. I can go on and on. When the early church, they couldn't read it, when they heard this, they were blessed. Because again, they were persecuted, and when they heard the end of the story, they're like, oh, praise God. They were so moved for centuries, the early church coined a brand new word, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That was the early church's prayer. This can't come quick enough. Most of the church age, this was the prayer, until probably the last 40 or so years. No one wants to read Revelation. No one really wants Jesus to come. Why? Affluenza. We're afflicted with affluenza. When Jesus told us that he was building a mansion for us, the King James put that in there because a mansion was the only thing they could think of. It was an abiding place, but they thought, oh my gosh, the greatest thing on earth is the mansion these rich people have. Now in America, we all have mansions. And we really do have streets of gold. The person who has it the worst in here is doing far better than most people in the world. There really is no reason for Jesus to come. And so I pray as we get into this, you might not be able to say it now, but I pray you'll be able to say it then. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because let me tell you something. We have it made, but it's an illusion. It's, it's an, I, I wish I could tell you it's a green screen. You're looking at a fake green screen with the comfort and whatever this materialism has brought us. And here's how I know an illusion. I don't need Jesus to come. Again, death. Death ends the illusion like that. 
And right behind that green screen, there is a reality of where this world is moving. Listen, we still gotta go to work, we still gotta raise our kids, but can we get one eye on eternity while we're doing it? I think we'll be more blessed if we can see the alternate kingdom and the one who began history and the one who's ending it. I think it'll dovetail and get us where we need to be.